0: I think at the time I didn't really see it coming. So I had always been, I'd always considered myself to be resilient. I'd always uh, been really confident. And so I didn't necessarily realize I was capable of, I suppose, breaking.
1: Can we agree that leadership isn't based on title or position? I have created this podcast to talk to everyday people who lead in extraordinary ways in their everyday lives, both professionally and personally in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. And in today's episode, my guest Christina shares why she is grateful, yeah I said it, grateful for the mental health issues that she went through. We talk about other topics around leadership, transferable skills, Inclusion, including great examples of what an inclusive environment looks like. The power of vulnerability and giving people the permission to be vulnerable and real with you. See, her story and her journey inspired me, and I'm sure we'll do the same for you. So let's dive right into it. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Christina. She is the commercial director of Ezra. Um, I met up with, so to Christina on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. We had such a great conversation. I thought it was only right just to bring her on and she can share some of her experiences, which I know will inspire leaders and everyone who's tapping into this podcast. Christina, how are you doing?
0: I'm great, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm definitely looking forward to this and just to dive straight into it I guess we'll go to what is Ezra because I know people are coming wondering what is (laughs) what's that different sounding name of a company for example.
0: Yeah absolutely and actually the word Ezra is from old Hebrew which means to help and so Ezra is a digital human-centered coaching platform and so we allow companies to reach people with impactful coaching in a way they just couldn't do before so we've taken away the elitist angle of coaching and we've made it accessible for lots of people um, at scale. And our mission is to make everybody better with a coach.
1: Okay. Have you
0: used the coach before? I have. Yes. Actually, everybody that works at Ezra gets access to a coach as well. So I have my own Ezra coach and yeah, I have, I've been working in this space and in this industry for some years. So I have had access to some coaching before, really fortunate to have had that.
1: And why do you think it's important for leaders and organizations to make coaching accessible to all their staff?
0: Yeah, oh, there's so many, so many good reasons. So the first thing is our ability to communicate with each other more effectively in a more human way. So learning communication techniques in general, if you get those um, coaching techniques throughout your business, you're more likely to have better communication with each other as well as with customers. Um, but the, the main thing that I think is so powerful from coaching is the ability to hold a mirror up and see your own blind spots and really start to develop and shift behaviours. And so, for just too long now, we've just given it to those at the very top of a business. And actually, it's far more impactful if we can reach people at all levels, especially those in more junior roles um, with impactful development work early in their career. We know this makes a huge difference on productivity, on um, engagement and well-being. So, yeah, super, we, th- we see it as a superpower.
1: I can understand why listening to that. And how have companies and leaders in general responded to tapping into coaching via technology? Because normally they're used to the face-to-face or the traditional method of coaching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that you know, more and more we've seen companies or individuals, I should say, embrace digital services. So, I think, you know, the world's moved that way. And of course, with the pandemic, there's no doubt it's been accelerated and we're just having to be more digital minded. Uh, But I would say our founder, Nick Goldberg, he is um, an executive team member for LHH, our founding company. And they, um, Nick's vision was to create something that didn't have this sort of HR cumbersome tech systems behind it. He really wanted something that was um, consumer tech, you know, really user-friendly, really easy to use. And, and that's exactly what he's created. So, from end to end, it is the most incredible experience, whether you're the coachee or whether you're the coach on the back end. It is a really beautiful experience, as easy as, as FaceTiming your mum or um, booking an Uber. So, it, it's, it's, it's a really small step change for people to adopt this technology and the it's so easy to use that the coach is still very much the star of the show, and that's how we're going to keep it.
1: I like that, I like being the star of the show as a coach, I can relate to.
0: That. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and you mentioned the um, pandemic. Obviously, people are just slowly coming out and business going back to some new normal way of working. Yeah. How have you looked after yourself during that period of lockdown?
0: Yeah, so I, I I see myself as really fortunate, actually, because I, I went through quite a dark time um, nearly a couple of years ago. So in 2018, I actually stepped out of the corporate world because I was suffering from mental health issues and my emotional health had taken quite a battering. So, I came out of the corporate world and went straight into therapy and, and spent a long time working on myself. So, when the pandemic hit, when we went into lockdown, um, I very much had things in place and tools and techniques in place to keep my well-being up and to stay resilient. And so, things like really focusing in on, on the right foods, making sure I was, you know, putting things that are healthy inside me, giving me the fuel, uh, focusing on yoga and meditation techniques. and Probably most importantly, staying really well connected with loved ones. So that, that, that I think anybody that has, has done some work in this space around well-being were really fortunate, I think, when um, we were forced to lock down because they just had things in place that maybe others didn't have. So, um, yeah, definitely a shift in those that had mental health issues being able to leverage that, what they've been through to make the most of this particular period.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a number of, of things that you've just touched on that I actually want to expand on that a minute. So obviously you said you went through a dark period a number of years ago in 2018. How did you realise that you were going through that period of going through that mental breakdown, as you've called it, and you needed to step yeah. out? And then how did the culture around you, your company around you, your family, your friends around you, support you to be able to do that in the best possible way?
0: Yeah, I think at the time I didn't really see it coming. So I had always been, I'd always considered myself to be resilient. I'd always uh, been really confident. And so I didn't necessarily realize I was capable of I suppose, breaking, which is the way I felt at that time. Um, I, I started actually realizing that it was affecting my world or my work, particularly when I just struggled to do the things I was always doing very naturally. So for example, just writing a simple document or a proposal for a client I used to be able to get those out and, you know, turn them around in an hour or two. And suddenly I was, you know, sitting there for hours, sometimes all day trying to complete something that would have usually been really easy for me. So I just, I found that I was losing focus and my, my thoughts become more rushed. I was, I was struggling to, to catch a thought and complete it without the sort of rushing feeling, which I now describe as a kind of mania. Um, and, and I was just showing up that way. I was showing up really frantic and, and disorganized. And when I was you know, feeling good, my confidence was coming through as passion and, and energy. And now when I was derailing, it was coming through, as I said, as quite manic and um, all over the place. So it was something I probably couldn't hide from myself any, any longer. Once it was affecting my work and even my relationships in my personal life, it was affecting You know, I was isolating myself from people that I care deeply about and care for me. Um, And so I I guess I got to the point where I thought, okay, I have to acknowledge this. And there were two, I suppose, groups that I had to think about, which was one was my family. So being able to come home and say, you know, I'm not I'm not feeling okay, and I might need help. And then also, of course, with my, my, um, my work. So, this fantastic CEO I was working for at the time called JC, and I was able to go to her and be honest and open. Along with our HR director, I was able to share with them that I wasn't coping well and that I wanted a bit of space and time to regroup. At the time, I actually thought it would just be a two-week break and then I'd come back in and it would be well. Um, but I soon realized that actually... I'd need to spend a lot longer working on myself and, and re-picking up the strength again. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you, when it gets to the stage where you can't deny it any longer, I think it kind of, you're forced to, to start speaking, even if you're not particularly ready to face it. So
1: how did, what did your, person you went to your CEO and your HR director, what did they say to how did they help you cope with that?
0: Yeah, they were extremely supportive. Actually, they, you know, like me, they, they we worked at a company, you know, NHH, to a company that really care about people and really care about people's livelihoods and their careers and their well being. And so, you know, it, the people I worked with already had that mindset, and so we all really wanted this this to work. We wanted me to take some time out, come back, bounce back, and and prove that we could support each other and, and still, you know, make this happen. But the truth was, I. I just, it was not going to be a quick fix and I wasn't going to be able to maintain the role I had. It was kind of a middle management level role. Um, I wasn't going to be able to maintain the role I had and do the work I needed to do on myself. It was just going too deep. It was, it was too serious for me. And I, and I was in a very privileged position where I could step out of work and I had some savings to support me. So um, yeah, I think we wanted to do things in a way that, that, would quickly bring the bounce back and I could come back in quickly. But actually we all got to well, I suppose I got to the point where I said, you know what, I just don't need the pressure and I'd rather step out. Even when they weren't putting pressure on me, I was putting it on myself.
1: That's that's always still there, isn't it? That self internal drive to you always question different things is this right, is this wrong? Am I doing the right thing? And obviously based on the position that you were at. How did you deal with him taking a step back away from the the title that you had and the career that you had in that in that corporate space? Because that's always a hard one to deal with as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and so much of it for me was about ego and and you know I I'd come from a very you know I'd come from an uneducated background I suppose, and I was very aware of the fact that I had felt a bit like a um. Like, I didn't always belong in the corporate world, like I was faking it somewhat because, you know, I worked with people that were highly educated and and they had, you know, a legacy of family members who had been senior in industry. And and I was really aware in my 20s I didn't have any of that background. and So, I was on a mission, you know, to make it um, in my career. And then, so here I was now, and I thought, is this me admitting defeat? Like, is this me saying I can't do it? I'm not capable. And what are other people going to think, you know, when I have to explain what I'm doing, either not doing anything, or I I soon actually um, started working in my family's fish and chip shop business. Um, I needed somewhere to be each day, and so that it just made sense for me to go and help them out. But I was really embarrassed about you know, people ask me, what are you doing? And I had to check myself and say, you know, it's not about my ego and I should be able to be honest and open about what I'm doing without fear or without embarrassment. So, yeah, that, that was tough to get my head around for sure. But but what was interesting is I started to think about, well, what do I really want for my career? What, what was I trying to prove and who was I trying to prove it to? And so I think just reassessing the goals I'd originally chosen was was really interesting for me because actually you know, my goals were no longer about whether people would think I was good enough. And my goals were now, you know, can I be in a position where I just love my day and I enjoy my day and I'm, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. And that seemed a far worthy goal than some fancy CEO title.
1: <laughs> wow. That sounds like you found the cure for imposter syndrome at the same time as well.
0: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of that in my 20s. It actually, my first ever sales job. I remember saying to myself, right, well, you don't know anyone that's ever been in sales, but you've seen a few movies and there's, you know, you've seen movies of what a salesperson should look like. And so I just remember trying to emulate what I thought would make a good salesperson, you know, kind of loud and confident and competitive and, you know, always on and energetic. And um, funnily enough, it it took me probably five or six years in, in my career in sales to say, actually, no, I I really am doing this. Like for real, I'm doing this, not just the character of what a great salesperson would do. Um, yeah, so suppose fake it till you make it. But, but because of all of that, there was a lot of imposter syndrome and I hadn't realized that it had gone, you know, I was no longer faking it. I was absolutely showing up as a real leader with real knowledge and experience and, and wisdom. And then, and actually like a real human being in leadership roles We all have moments where, we might not be coping as well, or we might, you know, be making mistakes, or we might just need to focus elsewhere on ourselves. And so I definitely got hit over the head with one of those moments.
1: <laughs> and you went to your mom and dad's fish shop. How was that
0: working in in that environment? Yeah, do you know what it was fantastic? Actually, when I when I first went back, I was like, Dad, I just need somewhere to be because I I'm not ready to go back into sort of a career role and I just need to, I need to not be at home every day. And he was like, "Yeah, of course. That we always need help. Come and help us." And um, and so I went in and did some, you know, really simple service role. And, and I really enjoyed just making customers happy and the simplicity of what we were doing and the quality of what we were doing. Um, but within a few weeks, my brother-in-law, actually, who um, was running the shop, wasn't uh, very well. He ended up having a uh, by. Uh, sorry, quadruple bypass. So he's doing great now, but at the time it was a, it was a massive, it had a massive impact on my family and on the business. And so they're just within, I think, maybe two months of me being there, there was no one to run it. And so very quickly, I realized I just need to step up and help. And, you know, by, by doing that, by being in that position, I, I started spotting things that, you know, we'd learned in the corporate world that I'd never thought to share with my family. I'd never thought to sort of go back and say, oh, do you know what we could do here? Or do you know what we could do there? And and suddenly, I was looking at the business saying, well, we need to digitize. It's really traditional. And that's um, so what I did. I went around starting to digitize different things from our supplier agreements to setting up new partnerships with uh, delivery uh, tech companies like Uber Eats and Just Eat and Deliveroo. And Um, I mean, I promised my dad by next year we wouldn't be going to his accountant with a box of paperwork, but we'd actually just be able to press send on an email, you know. Um, And and he was brilliant. You know, my dad's 70 years old. He had the business for 30 years. He's done an incredible job. And here I was, you know, asking him to really think differently about so much of what he was doing. And, you know, oh, he really stepped up to the occasion. I mean, now you should see him on his online banking and checking the delivery apps and seeing how much we've done. And he absolutely loves it. But, um, yeah, it was, it was not what I'd expected. I expected just to go in and serve some people, and I ended up having a huge impact on the business, actually. We ended up increasing the sales by 11%. We added a vegan menu, a gluten-free menu, and we were, we were finally capturing the entire family again. Um, and not to mention, as I said, those delivery partnerships just meant that we were so ready for, for this pandemic, really. We were just ready to cope with what, we were going on, what was happening um, this year. So, yeah, lots of gratitude for the way that played out.
1: So would you say you believe everything happened for a reason? I I remember Steve Jobs saying that you can only connect the dots looking backwards, not forwards. And you've been in that position where you just needed a break to step out, where you ended up actually going into your dad's business and actually helping them to get ready for COVID, which no one saw coming. If you weren't there, they would have been in a really difficult position. So do you believe in that?
0: Do you know what? I'm not. I'm not really someone that thinks you know there's some I don't know, cosmic fate making things happen for us. But I I can't help but just feel so grateful with the way this played out. I mean, when I my dad and I joke now that just just it's ridiculous the way it happened, and we can't believe how ready we were. I mean, you talk about making links. I I, I love making links. I love big picture trends. I love what's happening in the world. I'm always reading the news and and articles and blogs to just be able to make those links for myself. And so as, you know, I was tracking what was happening in China and then, of course, in Italy. And I I remember having this moment where I, I pulled all the team together. I think it was early Feb or late January and, and just said to everyone, look, there's likely to be a, a, a moment that comes the next few months where we're going to be asked to close. And I just need you all to save every penny you've got and we will save every penny we've got and we'll somehow take care of each other, you know, but let's just be smart and be organized about it. And you know, we we got all the PPE in place really early. We closed our restaurant weeks before the government instructed us to. We, you know, we we really felt ready and prepared and safe because of it. And I I think that um, because of all the work we'd done before in digitizing, it just meant that actually it wasn't too difficult for us. And even when we did close, we did it because we made the decision to. We we decided that you know, given the peak was coming fast that it, let's close now and we can refurb the shop and make more room for our future aspirations. And so that's what we were able to do. And yeah, maybe it happened for a reason. I don't know. I, I can't tell you how, you know, if I, if me and my own personal career had still been going from strength to strength, that would have been great. But the shop is the hub of my family. It, it's what feeds so many of us. It's what, it's the place that's given us all jobs growing up. It's the place that has allowed us to have family holidays, or to have, my mom and dad to have a beautiful garden that we can all come to together regularly, and so that shop meant so much, means so much to all of us, and always has done. So the fact that I got to help, you know, be in a position to help the shops thrive during a, a time when most high street shops are really struggling, yeah, I, I there's got to be some sort of divine intervention there because yeah, the gratitude I can't explain just how how thankful we all are the way that played out
1: would you define you being there and what you've done in that space in your dad's shop as being a leader?
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and, you know, not even because I was put in a position of you are now running, you know, you're now the manager. There was, there was never a chat like that, but because I, showed an interest in every single staff member. I I picked up really quickly on the fact that there was a real blame culture in the shop. And I found that really uncomfortable when I first entered because actually people had really good intentions and I didn't really understand where this was coming from. Um, And slowly I got to work with people and, you know, again, to my dad's credit, he gave me full permission to do what I wanted. Um, And I, and that's rare, right? Any, any, uh, anyone that's got a Greek dad will know just how rare that is. But um, no, he was brilliant, and he really trusted me in the decisions I was making. But I, I started to flip it round, so it was it was less about whether somebody ha- could prove that they weren't wrong, and it was more about sharing stories of where we had delighted customers or we had delighted each other as a team, and so. If you ask any of them now, you know, what they look forward to when they go into the shop, they will all tell you they love the, the chance to delight people. They know we're good at what we do and they love showing it off. So it's, yeah, it's a brilliant culture. And, and there's no doubt the leadership skills I learned from from my own roles, of course, but also working with a company like LHH who, who preach this stuff, right? You know, I was, I was working on solutions for leadership development and I was working on solutions that would really help cultures. And so it would have been remiss for me to ignore that learning and not apply it to my family's business. I just don't know why I never thought of it before.
1: <laughs> so if you were to define what leadership is to you in one sentence, what would you say that was?
0: Oh, I believe in servant leadership. There's a, there's a sort of new trend around this now, and it's really about – You know, leading others is really about clearing pathways for them and and allowing them to thrive and and really supporting them. And so I, again, in in a small business where you're the ones that, you know, you you own the shop, you carry all the responsibility and all of the costs, there was definitely a traditional element of, you know, well, they work for us and we expect X, Y, Z. And and I kind of flipped it around and said, well, unless they're shareholders, don't expect them to, to do what you do. Mother, father, whoever it might be, I'm talking to, um, and and just remind ourselves that actually we do well to serve them, to give them the best working experience, to educate them, to give them opportunities to grow and to thrive and to and to draw out what's great about each of them. You know, and these aren't these you know they're often quite junior people, but they're not people that had you know best access to education or the best access to even digital services. So, being able to serve them and give them access to things they wouldn't have had before has meant that they then serve our customers with the exact same energy and passion that we try to serve them with. So I think, yeah, servant leadership would be the style I would, I would choose above all.
1: Nice, I I really love that. Love that. What would you say you're you've learned from your parents and how have they supported you and everything that you have gone through the last couple of years?
0: Yeah, I mean they I'm so fortunate to have a family like I have. I, I've often described them as my backbone. They're the reason I can take risks in life because if I you know, if I take a risk and it goes wrong, I can always come home to a loving family. And so that there's something so special about that. Um, you know, when I think I mentioned that they, you know, no one in my family had corporate jobs. They all worked in, in, in shops. They either had their own shops or worked in each other's shops. And so everything I was doing was really alien to them. Even when I went off to university, they were quite confused by it, I think, and then um supportive but confused. And then when I started getting into sales roles, you know, I remember I was about to change from my 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 first role ever into my second role, my mum sort of saying to me, Oh, you know, don't don't rock the boat. You've got really good pay and everything's going really well and you don't want to rock the boat. And I was Sort of saying, but mom, I'm, you know, I'm worth more to the market now. And I'm now in a position where I can get a bigger role or maybe more responsibility or uh, uh, try something new. And this was so alien to them. I mean, I mean, my mom used to go in panic mode every time I switched to a new job because she was convinced it would, you know, the grass wouldn't be greener. And, and you know, you've got to stick at one job for life and that's what you do. So um, I've definitely gone through the stages of really educating them on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it maybe in a different way than what they were used to. Uh, but at the same time they they are so proud and they've been incredibly supportive and and particularly when I when I went through that dark time in 2018 and I stepped out of work you know they they rallied around so beautifully but you know again just so much concern and they you know ongoing concern really for that year and a half and even when I was in the chip shop I remember my mum saying are you sure this is where you should be darling you know are you sure you shouldn't be out doing something amazing and I was like this is amazing I love what we're doing here and but, they, you know, they were really concerned that maybe I'd lost my way or lost my confidence. And um, I think they, they just allowed me to do things my way. And, and as I became more consistent in sort of the new way I was showing up um, since 2018, they've been just so supportive of that and, and the fact that I'm, you know, I'm really finding myself and, and where I want to be in life. So, yeah, super supportive. And even when I moved to Ezra, you know, my dad was like, you know, don't worry about us. We'll have something in place. And I was like, no, it's okay. I'll help you organize, you know, what's going to happen when I step out. And, um, my sister was really hands-on too, but yeah, just, just absolutely supportive from all angles about around what I want to do when, when I wanted to throw myself into their business, when I wanted to step out and do something else, they've just backed me all the way. So again, lots of gratitude there for my parents. I've learned so much from them.
1: That sounds amazing. It sounds like the principles that you have from your family growing up, you've actually taken taken that into the corporate world and then brought what you learned from the corporate world back into their business. So you have a little vice versa exchange.
0: This is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good point. Joe, but I hadn't seen it that way. But you're right. It's been quite secular. I mean, there's no doubt. I used to go into interviews when I first started interviewing, saying things like, you know, I come from a family that own their own business. If the toilet needs cleaning, I'm going to clean it. That's what you do in your own business. You get it done. And so that definitely helped me turn up with the right work ethic. And, you know, my dad's so generous of spirit. You know, he's got time for anyone and he's, he's a very generous man. And so, you know, I think I, I want to be a generous leader and I get that from him. And my mom has this beautiful way of being honest and open with people and quite candid. Like she reads people really well and um, she knows how to give feedback and she knows how to make us better. And I think I've taken a lot of her examples on that sort of honesty piece and, and just having really good intentions with, with your honesty. So yeah, definitely a combination of both of them. And then was able to bring that back into their world where they might have you know, still have some traditional elements of leadership that didn't seem quite fit for purpose anymore. But again, they were very open to learning and to trying things differently.
1: So how did you step back into the corporate world and join Ezra?
0: Yeah. So actually this is thanks to our founder, Nick Goldberg. So he, um, you know, I've known him for some time now, for many years. And he actually was part of the team that hired me into the LHH UK business um, about six, seven years ago. So when I left LHH, he was unreal for checking in with me regularly, like every three months without fail. I get a message asking how I was, was I feeling any better? Is there anything he could do to help? And you know, just genuine concern. Not you know, not never felt like he wanted anything back, but just genuine concern. And um, I, I kind of never forgot that. Like I, you know, there's a few people that really stuck by me, or I suppose really showed they cared during my darkest time, and, and he was one of them. And so, you know, even at Christmas time, when he reached out and said, you know, how are you doing? You know, I, m- I might be thinking about having some roles coming up soon. And, and I sort of said, look, i just can't imagine it. I can't imagine going back into the corporate world. I'm having a blast at the shop. We're doing amazing things here. Like, well, this was pre-COVID, right? And, it, you know, it's going so well and I'm enjoying it. And, and the, the truth was, I was still feeling a little bit vulnerable. I was feeling scared that it, maybe if I go back into the corporate world, I'd somehow break again. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, fast forward and, and we've now closed the tip shop for a refurb and I'm sitting at home reflecting on the year and a half I've had. And I realized, you know, there's nothing I can't do. I, I can just apply the skills I have, or I can learn new skills and I can totally apply. It's just about anything I want to do. And that realization just filled me up. You know, there was me focused for so long on all the things I can't do or don't want to do. And this was the first time I suddenly felt full of ideas of what I could do and how I could do it. And true to form, Nick once again reaches out. It's been about three months since his last message. You know, How are you? How have you been? And um, I said, actually, I'm great. Like I'm really great. And I am ready to get my CV together. And I literally started working on it this week. And I'm telling him all this. And, and he said, this is great timing. We're, we we're literally about to start hiring for a role for EMEA, for a commercial director. And um, he knew that, you know, they would really spark my curiosity. The The ability to work across multiple cultures was really exciting for me. He knew I loved what they were doing at Ezra anyway, and I'd always shown interest from the sort of starting point of, of um, conception. So, yeah, I mean, he then put me through my paces, of course, right? I had to go through all the stages of interview and, and really showcase that I was up for this and I could, you know, I was ready to go and apply, again, all the learning I had done in my break to, to this new role. But even throughout the interview process, he would check in, you know, are you well, I just want to double check that, you know, I don't want to be in a position where we put too much pressure on you in any way. And I don't want to be, you know, ever be part of the reason that you might start feeling unwell again. And he just gave me complete permission to be open and honest about things and to share, you know, what, what I might need to look after my well being. And, and I think having that permission, knowing I can come back in a really honest and authentic way was just the only way to get back into the corporate world for me. So, yeah, again, really grateful for, for someone like Nick being in my life.
1: Wow. He sounds like a very good um, leader. And would be fair to say that that's the culture around um, Ezra in general. So, he's led it by example. And that's been the culture to allow people to be open, to be vulnerable, to be real and authentic, because that's like what he's created there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's definitely a leader that leads with empathy. And so, you know, as I spoke, you know, we've, we've, Ezra's grown so quickly, you know, in the years since they had their first client, you know, we've got, we're hiring people all the time. And so, you know, when I speak to new hires around why they, why they joined the, the business, you know, Nick, Nick and his ability to empathize and to reach people on a really human level. And, and, you know, that thinking has gone into the design of the product as well, but also our CEO, Jack, I mean, he also is is really open and, they, they recognize the power in conversations. If you think about what we do with coaching, you have to really um, appreciate and value conversations and holding space for each other. So, yeah, we have I say our leaders give us absolute permission to show up authentically, to have our own voices, even if they're unique and they're challenging at times to each other. Um, yeah, a, a lot of efforts going into our culture and, and the spaces that we create for each other. But like any businesses, we still have blind spots, right? And we're always pointing them out for each other. And I think that's what's a really lovely step change to see that. Um, yeah. And may it grow and continue as we get bigger. Let's hope we can keep hold of that, that sort of purity around inclusion.
1: Speaking of um, inclusion, obviously right now there's a lot of conversations around companies and organizations creating a truly inclusive organization for um, for everyone across the board to focus around Black Lives Matter But based on your experiences and companies that you're dealing with as well, what does a truly inclusive, authentic culture look like to you? And what examples have you had where you've either been uh, on the other side of unconscious bias, for example?
0: Yeah, a good question. So I think it's really hard to say, you know, what do we see? What do we witness with organizations to be sure that they're inclusive? Because I always think that, you know, you get what you get shown one angle or something. And actually, if you ask someone else from a different angle, would the answer be the same? So I am mindful of, of not getting too seduced by some of the awards and accolades organizations win or some of the PR around the work that they're doing. But, you know, from my small angle, you know, I get to work with either heads of DNI or with heads of HR or business leaders who genuinely want to reach people from different backgrounds. So they'll often be saying to us, "You know, we, we, you know, there, there are groups of people in our business who might come from minority backgrounds or have been marginalised and forgotten. Often, especially when it comes through, it comes to like development work, the most impactful development work. And so." And I think I mentioned this earlier, you know, coaching traditionally has been so elitist. It's been something that's often been offered to the most senior people in a business. And, you know, for that reason, you know, we don't often get this type of incredible development work to more junior people or to people that come from more minority backgrounds because they're often just ignored and forgotten. So, you know, one of the Ezra's purposes is to to reach people, as many people as, you know, make everybody better with a coach. And so when I'm working with clients and and they have the intention to reach people from those backgrounds and to quickly raise them up into critical roles or leadership roles, then at least from my point of view, the intention's good and the intention's strong. And so then it's my job to help them reach people in, in the best way we can. Um, I think... Where I personally dealt with discrimination, I mean, I, I'm a feminist, so I, I could list off a hundreds of, of microaggressions in my personal life, in my work life. But I think one, one thing that stands out for me, and, and actually I got the opportunity to talk to one of my old leaders um, a little while ago, uh, where this leader had, had positioned me and one other gentleman as, as, sort of high potentials in the UK. And he'd said this a couple of times in front of me, you know, you, you and this other person are high potentials. And, you know, and I loved hearing that, right. I said, oh, you know, I used to love the ego thing, especially in sales and the competitors. So I loved hearing that. And then I started noticing over the sort of next couple of years that this other guy that was pitted as a high potential alongside me was, you know, was put on stage time after time to present his ideas and he's thinking and I, you know, I'd never got that invite and I would, you know, I try and make myself visible, but I never quite got the invite. And so during that period when I stepped out of the corporate world and I was connecting with certain people and I managed to connect with him, we'd both since left the organization. And, you know, I said to him, what happened there? Like, help me understand what happened because you know, I, I saw you put your arm around him. You know, I saw you say we were both high potentials, and yet I also saw you put your arm around him and, and you put him up on stage and you really became his advocate globally. And you know, his career went from strength to strength, and rightly so. Right, this guy's unbelievably talented. I wouldn't take a thing away from him. Um, but w- what happened? You know, what you know, why didn't you do the same for me? And to his credit, this 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 leader took it really well, and he said, I you know, I really thought of myself as being an inclusive leader. I, I never imagined for a second that I hadn't done for you what I'd done for him. And and he said, and now I think about it, you're right. I did put my arm around him and it was kind of natural to do so. And I didn't question, you know, why I didn't do the same for you. You know, the point is he he then said to me, well, why did you never say anything? And I just thought, oh, okay. The thing is when you're in the position I was in and you want to go to your leader and tell them this thing you see that in your gut doesn't feel right. What you're really saying in that moment out loud is I think I'm better than you think I am. And that's like a horrible conversation no one actually wants to have. So, you know, I, I chickened out of having it, and, and he said, "Okay, I can, I can see how you wouldn't have felt comfortable in that moment saying that, and actually, someone like me advocating for you would have stopped you having to say that." And I think, you know, that that's the kind of conclusion we came to. But, you know, the, these were minor things, and, and, it, and again, I wouldn't say for a second this gentleman, you know, this leader, discriminated against me. I didn't. I didn't think. Definitely not consciously. But I was always aware of things like this, things that I just didn't feel comfortable pointing out to leaders because I just felt like maybe it was my ego, and I couldn't always determine or distinguish between the two. You know, how much do I think I'm entitled to, and and how much of that is because you know I recognise I'm talented, or how much is it just because I want more? And so yeah, it, it can confuse you at times. But um, I think leaders who are who are trying to create inclusive spaces they will give you permission to tell them that stuff, to, to show them their blind spots. And even if you, maybe you're seeing it wrong, maybe once you actually have that chat and you see their full angles, you know, all the ways they're looking at it, you realize actually it's not even coming from that at all and it might have nothing to do with it. But um, just having permission to be able to speak up is everything.
1: Yeah, and that also speaks into the power of sponsorship as well. Having someone yes. senior who can actually help guide you when they see someone there, you need that sponsorship. If not, you can be you can be the greatest, but you know, unless you're going to get to where you need to get to because you need someone in that room, in that environment, that's seen a position to be able to pull you up as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and that's what I'm trying to do for others. You know, that's what I want to do for other people. I want to be inclusive. I want to... You know, really support people that want to, want to, are ambitious or want to achieve particular goals. I really want to be able to support those people, especially when they're often ignored for those types of promotions because maybe they don't look like traditional leaders look. Um, you know, all sorts of barriers that get in people's way. And I, I really want to do my best to unblock those barriers and to, to give really clear routes to, to success, whatever that might mean to someone.
1: One thing that you've talked about before has been the power of vulnerability and how that has changed from a couple of years ago to right now. So I want you yeah. to just kind of just talk about your experience with vulnerability, what that looks like and how that's helped you grow as, as a person, as a leader.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think we spoke before Shopee about, you know, when I, when I first watched Brené Brown's TED talk around the power of vulnerability, I, I remember thinking probably quite arrogantly at the time, I remember thinking, oh, you know, I, I do this. I definitely lean into vulnerability. You know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, but the truth was, I don't think I'd really thought about what, what in my life makes me vulnerable and I don't think I really gave that any meaningful thought until I went through uh, my breakdown or my breakthrough or whatever you want to call it but I you know in my darkest hours that's when I realized what it would take to share how I was feeling with other people to to be really honest and raw with people about how vulnerable I felt that I didn't have it all together that I wasn't you know, ready for the stretch and the and the project or the promotion or whatever it is I was always chasing. You know, now I had to be honest and say, actually, I'm, you know, there's pieces of me everywhere and I don't know how to gather them up. I just don't know how to put myself back together. And so that was really tough. You know, it was, it was, I had to do a lot of work on, on ego. I had to remind myself why I cared so much about what other people thought of me. I had to remind myself why I cared so much about the job title and why, I might have had uncomfortable moments explaining that I was serving people in a fish and chip shop. You know, every time I met someone from my old world, the corporate world, and, would, and they'd ask me, what are you up to? I just had this, this really sick feeling in my stomach and getting comfortable with being honest about what I was up to was really what taught me what vulnerability actually meant because it, it wasn't about just sharing the great things, sharing myself, you know, and, and all the wonderful positivity around the way I like to live. But actually being able to share the darker stuff, being able to share the stuff that I wasn't particularly proud of or that, that gave me my own sense of shame, I think that, yeah, that that took a whole nother level of courage that I didn't know where to find for so long. And, and without therapy and the support of my family and great friends, I don't know how I would have coped with those moments. Because um, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing not to kind of beat yourself up when you go home after you said it. So... Yeah. I mean, what I did learn actually was that the more I shared, the more I, I, you know, was able to create closeness with people that I just might've missed out on before. So people, you know, I was so shocked even from the earliest phases of of how I was feeling, people were saying to me, actually, you know, in 2014, I went through something similar or in 2011 or in 2008, you know, and I was just like, what? I would have had no idea that you went through that. And, how do I not know this about you? Because it just seemed like something so big in their life. And yet I just was, didn't know. And, and so that was wonderful. Realizing that was more people than you would have guessed have been through similar stuff. And that actually it's a very human thing to go through, but also just by the nature of being vulnerable with someone, allow them to have permission to be vulnerable with you too. And there's so much richness in that.
1: Yeah, that's where the connectivity of the relationship comes from, isn't it? Where you can just be yes. open, and you're inviting someone into that space as well, which is brilliant to hear. I want to one, two final questions actually. Yeah. First one is, how do you separate your work and your personal life?
0: Yeah, that's really tricky. I, I'm actually I'm better at closing my laptop at like 7 p.m. Whatever time it is, I'm really bad at closing my mind off the things I'm doing with work. So I. You know, often in the evenings, we'll still be going over either things that happened or things I want to achieve. And I I don't always do very well with sort of clearing um, my brain of all the stuff going on so I can find the space to, to regenerate, or to, to find space to think of different things. Um, so, I've put some things in place. I mean, I've been back I've been back in the corporate world now for maybe coming up to my eighth week, so nearly two months. And I've been really holding on to my daily yoga practice. You know, sometimes I'll even do just 20 minutes of yoga in between things so that I do switch off from the last thing before I, you know, embark on the next. I find it's a really good way of resetting. I suppose some people would do meditation and it's a similar practice, isn't it? Um, and then sometimes when I finish work, I make a point of calling a loved one. So somebody that's not in my work life, but in my family or my friend group, because I just find, again, switching focus to their life and what they're up to, or even being able to share with them some of the things I'm up to just helps me switch off from my day, day work into another version of me, you know, the sort of loving family member of me. And that can really help as well, but it's an ongoing struggle. And I, and I, I think a lot of people are probably struggling with getting it right. How do you do it? How are you doing it with the family around?
1: Um, I guess it's a bit like what you said, it's about being intentional as well. So I have um, set times so normally I, I tend to get up early. So early morning, I get up about five or half five. That's that's my wow. time. They're they're asleep anyway. So disturbed right. <laughs> so I can go and exercise, I can spend some time praying, I can start my day, and then spend right. some time with them in the morning, spend the rest of the day working, and then in the evening, it's just completely family time. So normally from like about yeah. five half five, it's just everything's completely switched off, unless it's a emergency or meeting, I couldn't we schedule but normally it's yeah. five o'clock from then onwards it's just purely minutes time we chill relax play games have fun and then start the game that's the
0: beautiful day. yeah i love that that's so beautiful i bet your kids really appreciate time with daddy as well or with
1: the whole family with the whole family yeah it's, it's always so always good it's always good i was always trying to balance it out but yeah definitely looking forward to it and yeah, nice. i'm gonna go into um, a quick fire round
0: Okay, I'm ready. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I must say, what has been the biggest life lesson you've learned so far?
0: Yeah, I think for me it's to, to trust your gut, trust your, your heart and your, your sort of instincts around things. Yeah, I think the moments when I've let that go and I haven't trusted myself, then I think that's when I started to go off course.
1: Um, what are the three guiding principles or values yes that you would say stand out for you and that's how you live your life by
0: yeah absolutely so the first one is to be really human and just not forget that we are all human i think it's really easy to forget that in, in anything that we're doing so just bringing it back to us being really real people um the second one is to lead with heart So just allow your heart to shine through. You know, I I spent many years changing the word feeling to thinking because I thought people would appreciate it more and I'd be taken more seriously, but not anymore. I mean, now I'm absolutely like, I feel this. And I'm really comfortable to say that. So just, yeah, lead with heart. And the third one is is be kind. So just kindness in general, kindness to other people and to yourself, I think. Um, I think if we all were a bit more kinder with ourselves and each other, the world would just be a far nicer place.
1: That nice. is so true. That nice. is so true. What's the one piece of advice you wish someone gave you five years ago?
0: Yeah, five years ago. Yeah, I think, I think if I had been reminded that I didn't need to conform, you know, that I, I was, I suppose, going head first into signing up for a life that really wasn't right for me. And I think a lot of that came from conditioning of what it what it means to be a, a Greek woman, you know, what it means to get married, what it means to have a career and, and juggle your, your personal life with your work life. You know, as a Greek woman, I w- I very much felt the pressure of what that needed to look like. And actually that that life wouldn't have suited me at all in that in the way I was imagining it. And so I wish I had I'd, I'd just maybe even someone had, had stopped me and paused and said, you know, just hang on a minute before you go head first down this route are you sure it's right for you and the person you are and I think that might have saved me a lot of me and others a lot of heartache in the long term
1: what does success mean to you
0: Oh, it literally means joy. It means joy and happiness and nothing else anymore. I mean, it used to mean getting to CEO. It used to mean, you know, closing the biggest deal. It used to mean all these things. But no, it just means happiness to me now. You know, I spent a lot of money on therapy to get to this point where I can say that. But yeah, I mean, I I was chasing things that were just unnecessary, I think, anyway, for me and what, what success would mean for me. And I realized that actually just being able to have the majority of your days be full of some some piece of joy, um, no matter how small, is enough, I think, for me. So, yeah, happiness.
1: It's amazing how you actually lit up as you were talking about joy there as well. You just went <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
0: loved it. Uh, no, I was just going to say, as I said it, I actually, when I was in my darkest hour, I got really close to my 20-year-old niece, She's 21 now, but... Um, She's really young and she was really struggling with anxiety in her third year of university. And I just had to happen to have a lot of free time, right? And hadn't spent much time with her before. And so we got the chance to get really close. And I nicknamed her Joy after a few months. And I sort of said to her, literally, being around you just refills me with joy in a way that I haven't been able to feel for a long time. And so she ended up becoming my rock, really, in many ways. And I mean, we joke because she seems to think that I somehow mentored her through, you know, she got her first at university. She started live streaming she does some really great stuff that she wouldn't have had the confidence to do before but i'm like no you don't understand like i needed you to come into my life so um, when i said joy to you i instantly saw her face grinning at me and it just made me smile as well <laughs> but yeah a bit of a random aside <laughs> <That
1: is beautiful. laughs> i love that <laughs> i love that that's what you want isn't you want that idea that image in your head of what that joy actually looks like and to be to, to have that is absolutely amazing yeah really cool that's beautiful and what would you want your legacy to be
0: yeah legacy i think you know i think inclusion makes sense for me i I think i you know i want to be remembered for someone that that could hold space for people that could allow others to have a voice you know i I have to work really hard on active listening right because i like to talk you know but i think you know i think we could all do better in that but if i was remembered for just that that would just that would make me so happy. You know, just being able to create safe spaces where people can thrive. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I see way too many people in survival mode when they should be thriving and it breaks my heart. And so, yeah, if I can create those types of spaces for people, then then wonderful. And that's exactly why
1: I wanted to have you on here. Just in that one conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> and I could feel the, the passion, yeah. the joy, the emotion and such beautiful soul coming out of that conversation. I was like, just have to share your your story. I know encourage and inspire people in every way, shape, or form to to drive their lives forward and their cultures forward as well. But you've spoken a lot about cultures, about leadership and about your personal life. So I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing those words with us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Sophie. Okay. I mean, we've not done your listeners a, uh, a good service here because actually from our original conversation, I got to hear more of your stories and the inspiration that you gave me. And so I, uh, I hope we'll have the opportunity again to, to share with others more around you. And actually, maybe I can interview you to mix it up a bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, I appreciate it. I found meeting you and connecting with you really inspiring. And thank you for giving me the chance to share some of my stories.
1: It's been a pleasure. Everyday Leadership. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Everyday Leadership. Don't forget, I have show notes on my website, everydayleadership.bussprout.com, So check that out. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe and tell someone else. Appreciate your support. I'll see you next time. This is Everyday Leadership.